Welcome to episode number 301, The Benefits of Therapy. This is the Rotated Views Podcast with Jimmy Lee and the crew, giving you life from various perspectives. Welcome to our level. We hope you enjoy the views. Brought to you by the Blessed Lifestyle brand. Visit bl3ssed.com to get blessed. Also sponsored by The Motivation Files Unleashed. This motivational mixtape will be your fuel for success. Available on all platforms. All right, you are now tuned in to the Rotated Views Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy B. Velez. I'm here with Gabe, Goose, Erica, and Genevieve. The benefits of therapy. In this episode, the crew welcomes special guests, Erica Holtz and Genevieve Powell. We cover topics that range from couples therapy, family therapy, relationships, anxiety slash depression, fair fighting, life cycle events, and much more. We wrap the episode up with quotes from Haim Gino and Nelson Mandela. Guys, if you're new, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to download and subscribe. We drop a new episode every Tuesday morning for your listening pleasure. Kicking things off, Erica and Genevieve, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to jump right into this bad boy. So for those of us who do not know who you are and what you do, let us know. Um, Okay, I'll start. I'm Erica Holtz. I'm a licensed therapist, and I also do supervision for other therapists in the state of Pennsylvania. And um, Genevieve and I have a private practice called Holtz and Powell Marriage and Family Services, which we are currently doing telehealth, but we do have an office location in Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania as well. Love it. All right. So, so how did each of you and Genevieve, we'll start with you, get started in this industry? Um, so I think it's really interesting. It's a good question because most therapists have been in therapy before, before they become therapists. Okay. A requirement, but, um, so I got started in therapy because, um, I wanted to help people and when I was in high school, I was thinking like, how could I do that? And I was like, um, I'm going to be a history teacher. I don't know how I connected that to helping people, but it was, <laughs> yeah. it was solid in high school. Yeah. So then I went to like uh, gra- or, uh, undergrad at Gwen and Mercy University. Okay. And I thought I had registered as a history major. Like I'm going to go like teach, going to like blossom young minds. It's going to be great. And then I got smacked in the face, luckily with my first uh, psychology course. And I was like, like all the bells and whistles connected. I was like, click, 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 click. I gotta go change my major. So I ran to the bursar's office and they were like, uh, you're already a psychology major. I'm like, that was fake. So then I had some amazing teachers like in, in undergrad who were like, so here's the process to become a therapist. And I was like, yes, okay. Grad school, student loan debt, internship, everything. Assign me up. <laughs> Right. So could have done without the student loan debt, but like who doesn't have that? Um, and then like in that process, I think like I met Erica. We went to graduate school together at LaSalle University. So that's kind of how we connected. I think we were in abnormal psych, right, Erica? It was marital therapy. It was marital therapy. Oh, my bad. I don't know why. What'd you say? I don't know why I remember that. I don't know why I always think it's abnormal psych. Probably because we're not exactly <laughs> normal, but I connect the two. So then we went through a pretty extensive training, um, graduate school, which is like three years, 
three to four years post-grad um, certification, a license in the state of Pennsylvania. And then after that, Eric and I are what are they call an approved supervisor in the state of Pennsylvania, which is what she was speaking to earlier about um, being able to train other therapists to become therapists. So it's like almost like medical school without wow. the financial conversation. <laughs> wow. All right, excellent. And Erica, your, your, your story, I know obviously somewhere in there you guys will intertwine, but how did you get started? It's not as animated as Genevieve's story. <laughs> right. I just, I kind of found myself in the middle of other people's stuff. Like, I don't, I don't think I was looking for it, but people naturally found me to be a good listener, I guess. And I naturally was somebody who could be very empathetic to other people. And so I, I found myself just being in the middle of a lot of people's issues. Mm -hmm. um, not in a really like dysfunctional manner, but just as a, a, a way that I kind of just felt like this came like a natural thing to me. So then I started to kind of look at, actually in ninth grade, I wanted to be like one of those, like, I, I like writing too. And I wanted to be like, columnist. I just thought that was like going to actually work out. So, but I think once I took uh, my psychology class in high school, um, I did really well in that class and I loved it. So that's when I knew I was going go to go to, into that field. I didn't know exactly what yet. So I went to the University of Pittsburgh for undergrad and they have a bachelor's in science. So it was a lot of like sciencey stuff, which really was not my thing, like training a virtual rat and like research methods, statistics, like that was not my thing. But then I took like a social psych class and some other stuff that I liked. And I thought, all right, I got some, here are my options. I could do school counseling, like a guidance counselor. I could be a therapist or I could do um, like a school psychologist. So I applied to all three, to three different schools in the same program. The first school lost my stuff it was Temple University. Am I not surprised, but they lost everything. The second one was like delayed and everything. And I just, I got accepted to LaSalle pretty quickly. And I thought, you know what, this is a sign. I'm going to go with this. This makes sense to me. And then I ended up meeting Genevieve, like in one of our classes. And then we were interns together. And then we worked together for a couple of years and then we just maintained, we got decided to get into private practice together. And that's been what we've been doing since 2013. Yeah, it's our, almost like our 10 year anniversary. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and Jenny, really good friends too. We were in each other's, you know, we were just really close with each other and um, we have a friendship as well, but for whatever reason, we don't have a problem with the like any kind of boundary issues when it comes to business partners. So we're, we're pretty good. Okay, and then so take us back to when you initially started back in 2013, um, where you kind of just uh, working, you know, like out of a home office and you were just on site visiting people or, or how did it work? Or who was your first client, do you remember? <laughs> so um, Erica, had um, begun practicing independently in a private practice before I came on board. And then there was like a change of hands. And so based on our relationship, she was like, do you wanna do this? And I was like, whole, and anything scary right. is worth doing in my opinion, because you know it's challenging something. So like as much as I was like, that's a lot of, 
stuff on a gamble, right? Because like, mm. who are we? No one knows us. No one's like, oh my God, you know, there's no like referral of word of mouth kind of thing at the time. And so it was just literally, I had, I'll be honest, if I may, I had like four clients the first year. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, I had four clients. This is never going to work out. But Erica's strength is that she is a very good motivator. And she was like, look, we're going to do this. So then we just went through the process of like finding different avenues to, you know, um, to advertise, to do word of mouth. And like, we're very intentional about making therapy a positive and like almost like life-changing experience for people. And that I know has a lot to do with like what's being presented and what um, their motivation is for change. But I think one of the things that have really carried us through 10 years is, you know, we're very real people. Mm. Like we're not, we have appropriate like professional boundaries, but like we still have lives outside of therapists. I think some people get like surprised that like, you know, you're human. Right. I have a family, I'm married, I have a kid. Erica has the child. She and I were leading to those weddings. We, you know, we go out drinking. Like, I mean, it's, it's something that I think we bring to the table as therapists is the sense of realism that there's not like this hierarchy as I think is often um, portrayed in like movies and media that like the therapist is here and like you're here. Cause I mean, I don't respond well as Erica can attest to, to authority. <laughs> And so I like to come to the point where it's like, we're in this together. And I think that's why we've been like so successful thus far. Erica, did you want to add? I'm sorry, I just kind of jumped in. Um, I want to point out that Genevieve and I also held full-time jobs when we started this. So each of us were still working full-time mm -hmm. and we had this tiny little office that we were sharing and we still use the share calendar, which I don't know why we do that still, but it was, we had to book- Progress. <laughs> only had one room so it was always like well I can't go I can't do it this night because Genevieve has a client at this point now we have not that we've seen it in a couple years but our all we have two offices next to each other in the same building yeah we were working full-time I was you know a clinical supervisor at an agency in, in the city Genevieve was doing family-based or whatever another five jobs she had she always had at least two but usually three and um and we were just hustling you know we were hustling i was working our full-time job doing working saturdays doing some nights and then it slowly just kind of grew every year so once we kind of got out there a little bit more i did a lot of supervision for for a while my other job that i left in 2020 that i was there we got trained there it was our internship site i was there forever um, people used to seek me for outside supervision for like licensure. So I used to get a lot more supervision there, but we also have like, you know, relationships with some Philadelphia schools in the area for supervision. We're closely with LaSalle, Drexel University, um, North Central University is another one. Um, mm -hmm. there's a couple people are involved in. So, you know, we also have relationships in that way as well. Yeah. So, so when you say, when you say supervision, what, what does that entail? Uh, Jen, do you want to go or do you want me to? I mean, you're doing a great job. <laughs> you're killing it. Uh, <coughs> ridiculous. 
So supervision basically is you kind of talk about cases. You don't use like identifying information, but you talk about the scenario and you talk about what it is that you're stuck with. And then us as supervisors, we help you kind of look through what's happening and sort of process what's happening for the therapists, if there's anything that's triggering them personally and going on in the case, what we can kind of point out. And a lot of times we also use videotaping with consent of the clients kind of look at what the session is. So a lot of times we'll bring in videotapes and we'll kind of look at a segment where the therapist felt like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. Can you help me with this? So it's a requirement to get licensed. You need to be licensed by somebody like us. It's very particular. Our specialty is, is couples and families. There's a lot of therapists that attempt to do couples therapy and family therapy, and they're not qualified to do it. And it ends up people coming to us to go and be a horrible experience with this couples therapist or this family therapist, because they didn't go to somebody that's a licensed marriage and family therapist. So especially for things where couples and families are related, that is where you need to be. So, so explain a little bit about the services you provided when you first started versus the services you currently provide, or is it the same thing? Um, so sure, we're providing the same services that we've always provided. Um, I think the difference now is the volume. <laughs> so we've gone from like, you know, a few people to like full-time caseloads and referrals that come in two to three a day. We had four today. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The biggest change is really telehealth too. With COVID happening, it really exploded that because all of the like certain, we are connected with certain, um, they're kind of like assistance programs in the cities, like the like certain unions that are that go through this these third um, party umbrellas, and they weren't they weren't like allowing you to do telehealth, mm. so they allowing us to do that, and so I've been able to get clients from different parts of the, of um, Pennsylvania that I wouldn't get, you know, prior, and then you know we have some other connections as well in different parts of the state that we can now see clients out of Pittsburgh if you want. So generally speaking, what, what are the, the, the overall benefits of therapy what, and what should a client expect when going through these sessions or consultations uh, when, when they're with you all? Um, so, you know, let's just start at the beginning. So like people call or, te- or email and so forth to schedule an appointment, right? So some of them have been through therapy before. Some of them, this is their first time and it's taken like a lot of guts and maybe even a lot of stuff to happen for them to be like, hey, I need help, right? Mm-hmm. So like, let's just break that apart for a second. Cause that part is like, I think the biggest thing because <laughs> you have to call somebody who you may have known from like word of mouth or, you know, you looked up their uh, profile on like a website, like psychology today is the big therapy resource or you know you googled on you googled or you went on facebook or something and like you liked the bio and you're like i'm going to reach out to this person and schedule so like that whole process in of itself is like an extreme amount of vulnerability and like trepidation for people absolutely like that takes so much credit i'm sorry and then to like schedule with someone right so um, a lot of people want to use insurance because therapy can get pretty, you know, pricey consistently. And like what Erica was saying, um, earlier is that like, we don't take any of the mainstream insurances like Aetna, Cigna, et cetera. Um, we take third party insurances so that we can get to, you know, um, 
people who may be less inclined to come to therapy. So like more of like middle-class America <laughs> to get on their level, to feel approachable, to like, hey, you know what, change is possible. This isn't just something that, you know, I find in a book or on a YouTube channel or, you know, inspirational quote or something. So then people come into therapy and sometimes, and Erica, you can agree with me or not, but like, I think most people come into therapy pretty scared and like white knuckling it a little bit because yes. we're asking, what therapy is asking of people is, you know, to, to share your story, right? Because it's obviously causing some level of distress or else you wouldn't come to therapy. Right. Um, and then we're asking you to trust us and, you know, what we've learned and been trained in over the years to share that burden with us, that it's no longer your secret or your shame or your guilt. It's now ours, like in a very strange way, because like, we're not friends, but we're not we're not going to go hang out after a session, you know, yeah. but like, it's a space where you can more or less confide. And I think a lot of people have, tr you know, trouble confiding things because, you know, if you confide in your family, sometimes loose lips, <laughs> if you confide in your friends, sometimes, you know, they don't know how to handle the information, but like, I think that like, that's um, a very big part of what, at least I personally love about our job is that there's, you know, people come in scared and like timid and they leave a different person at some point because just full disclosure, therapy is not meant for life. Mm -mm. Um, but at intermittent points of your life, it's perfectly fine. So, um, and then it's like 50 minutes is what a session generally is. And that's usually done yeah. weekly or bi-weekly, uh, depending upon like finances and time. But to Erica's earlier point, I think telehealth really has just made things easier for people who may have been even more trepidatious about making a call because they can just sit in their home like Eric and I are right now in their comfort, whether they need like um, tangible objects to make themselves feel better, water, tea, a bear, I don't know. <laughs> you know a snuggie or something and they can just be in their space instead of coming into like a traditional office where sometimes you know the decor you don't have a say in it <laughs> like you do as a doctor's office you just kind of show up so um yeah I'll continue to ramble Erica do you want to jump in on this a bit so we also our our fee is not ridiculous so when we do offer like you know, for out of pocket people that pay out of pocket, it's it's typically reasonable for what they can afford. So that's part of our mission was to to appease to the middle class really because the the lower class has Medicaid, and the the the, um, the upper class has you know they can pay whoever, but the people in the middle are the often the ones that are kind of left behind. So that was kind of the whole point of our practice was not to to charge people ridiculous amounts of money for mental health because it's a real problem in this in this country. So, mm -hmm. um, so also I think to add like therapy is also a process. It's not a quick fix. A lot of times we'll get families and the parents are very, very stressed and like, here's a kid, fix them. And I'm like, whoa, whoa wait a second, where are you going? Like, I need your help. Like we all need to be working together and it's a process. Right. Right. We need to relationship with everybody. We need to kind of look at what's happening and kind of figure out what it is that needs to be different. So I think some 
sometimes there is a tendency for clients to come in and think that they can just, we're supposed to say something magical and they're going to poof be fine when there's been, (laughs) especially now with the, with, with the, the world's going through right now with the pandemic and all the political stuff, like we're already traumatized state, you know, it's not going to take, it's going to be a little bit of time that you have to invest. And it's, it is an investment. It's an investment in yourself. And I don't know that there's a lot of people that have actually been doing that to them for their life, Mm. you know? Yeah. So So can you guys explain a little bit about, um, couples therapy and how that actually works is, and I know that every scenario is different, right? Um, every client is different. Maybe you'll have a significant other who's willing, and then you have probably someone who's not as willing uh, or not as pumped up about this. Maybe someone wants to fix it more than someone else. Um, And those are all very real things, but how does that work? Do they come in individually? Do they come in together, a combination of both? Want me to jump in? Uh, yeah, sure. Doesn't matter. So, all right. So couples therapy is mostly, it's done together. I rarely split couples up because there's, there's this weird thing that goes on where you're now the person in the middle and you really need to be remaining neutral. That's the most important part of couple therapy is the therapist needs to have a relationship with both people and both people feel heard and represented so that they'll be able to move forward. If that's not happening and it happens with people that do not know what they're doing, couples therapy you end up, one person doesn't want to go because they feel like they're being ganged up on or they don't feel like the therapist is listening to them or they don't feel like they're being understood. And that's, that is not helpful in that couples therapy process. So Genevieve, you want to jump in? Um, yeah, I, um, I, I agree with what you said. I think one of the things too is, is that um, like to your earlier point, like couples come in for different reasons sometimes it's like infidelity sometimes it's like falling out of love sometimes it's like you know new parents I think a trend that at least I've been seeing is that first-time parents go into couples therapy because you know kids are like hella overwhelming (laughs) they're adorable but hella stressful um and like the relationship is like we've never had a third person so like now we're mutually taking care of this human so I think that just there's loss and grief there's just so much in that would prompt people to come into couples therapy and you know our goal is to give you like a different experience of each other and then the tools to translate like that experience from session into like real life for yourself because you know we see them for like an hour a week and anybody can be nice for like an hour a week right so we're looking for more long-term systemic change and by that like we're challenging some of the belief systems and we're doing things um like looking at what we call your family of origin which is like the family you came from so like your parents your siblings your grandparents and like if there's anything like leading to like the current state of feeling. So like if you've had any trauma, what your sign, what your I was gonna say signature themes, but that's like a, a supervision term. But like what are some of the things that your family did that you're reenacting in your relationship with your partner that you like or don't like? And sometimes we find like because we're just so used to it, it's like quote unquote like normal, but it's not something we really want to do. It's just something that we're like ingrained to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. 
So like, we're trying to see, like, take couples and figure out like, what is your new normal, right? So you're going to have that baggage. You're going to have that baggage, but like, what is your new normal? And that's, I think where, you know, once we get through some of the presenting symptoms, <laughs> we can get to like a space of creating like a mutual narrative of how you want your relationship to be, to be. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And so <clears throat> I know there was something called fair fighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, briefly, you can explain, you know, what that means. And then how do you stay neutral to Erica's point? Um, Cause I know maybe sometimes I'm saying every client, you might in the back of your mind agree with one more than the other, but to stay neutral is also probably not as easy as it sounds. Um, and to be reasonable and to, Erica also said this earlier, to be a good listener um, and allow the fair fighting to occur. So can you explain like, you know, being that, that, in, that person in between? Okay, so there's the rules for fair fighting, basically. These are kind of things to help. It's not really the systemic change piece of it. It's, it's symptom reduction. So gotcha. to get, to, you can't get to some of these more deeper issues if they're just, they can't even get along at all. Mm. So fair fighting basically is a very short, like 10 rules. I don't know them all by heart, but a lot of them are self-explanatory, like no use of force. But a lot of times it's like, you know, time, using a timeout. If you guys are getting escalated, you got to time out, separate, think about what's going on. And when you calm down, you reconvene and, and try to talk things through. Another one is like, speak for yourself, not your spouse. Like don't define what your spouse is feeling. You need to concentrate mm-hmm. on what you are experiencing. Uh, a lot of times threat to end the relationship in the middle of an argument, not helpful, completely creates like insecurity in the relationship. And the goal of being in a, a healthy couple relationship is emotional safety. So you're ruining that every time you say something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the one is yelling, which we already know kind of like yelling is not really helpful. Um, so those are just like a couple, I'm just bringing off the top of my head of some like guidelines for like, how are you supposed to have a discussion? What I tell my clients is you have to picture yourself as a team, okay? And you guys are, are supposed to be working towards a solution to an issue, not who's, who's right and who's better. You're a team. So think of a sports team. What happens when, all, when the coaches are not on the same page? Players are a mess most of the time. Or what Absolutely. if the, the starts deciding they're gonna do what they wanna do and the, don't listen to the coach? What happens to the team? It falls apart. So you know, if you talk to couples about a functioning teamwork, they can sometimes get out of this like opponent pattern that so and the, to what you said about being neutral it, there is sometimes it is difficult and i think what it, we have to do is we have to separate ourselves from the therapist self so Good when point. we when we are our, in our therapist realm we are not we're, we have to be careful of our personal beliefs and ideas and we have to try to stay in the moment and do our best to try to help these two people figure it out so that's kind of how we do it. I know Genevieve, you can jump in. No, I mean, what she said. I love it. So earlier you mentioned um, uh, the uh, couples being uh, possibly new parents and a new member of the family is now here. Um, and there's a lot of change that comes along with that. Yeah. Uh, we all, we're all, uh, me and my brothers are all fathers. So we 100% and we're all married. So we definitely understand that. Is that considered what 
is titled a life cycle event or if not sure. if yeah so like life cycle events are like <clears throat> marriage anything that's going to change the course of your life new jobs a baby marriage divorce separation loss of siblings parents grandparents children um starting school moving these are all significant life events that you know happen in the course of all of our lives we have a tendency or people have a tendency to like respond to those events you know in different ways some are good like having a baby could be good for one family and having a baby could be like oh my god to another family um a new job can be like great, more money, better hours, exciting. And then to like, you know, that person's spouse and might be like, oh God, <laughs> like that's more time away from me or that's not, um, you know, I don't like that job. I don't want you working that shift, that kind of thing. So like life events sometimes have, you know, uh, congruent responses from partners and families. And sometimes they have alternative responses. And I think like when they have alternative responses like to Erica's earlier point about like fair fighting sometimes those skills need to be implemented in order to get to the truth of the distress like for example um you know in the event of a new baby right like they're cute they're so cute oh my god they're little cheekies and all that stuff but like they're also like crying and you know women tend to be more prone to like um, postpartum anxiety and depression. And that can be very visible or very invisible, especially if you have like a high functioning uh, spouse. So, you know, there's, um, if, they're, if that's left unattended, sometimes it can breed more contempt. And then you're talking, your child could be four or five or three, or even the following year before like that issue is addressed where that person felt neglected. So like, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about like, you know, improving like communication in the sense that it should be in real time, like as you're experiencing it. Mm. Love it. So, so transitioning that from couples to the family therapy, is this, does this operate in the same manner where you have mm. all parties in attendance? Uh, so if it's a a five member family, would you have ideally all five people there or are you just having the individuals that have the issue with each other, if that makes sense? I guess I'll, I can answer this one. So basically as, as many people involved in the problem, I try to get in the room, the more the merrier. Got it. A lot of times that's not like always possible. So I just take what I can get a lot of times. Sure. But Typically, family therapy is, is, I call it kind of like, this is going to sound cheesy, but it's kind of like a magical process where the more people you have involved, the more like, I can't even like, it's just a strange and wonderful process to see that I don't even, I feel like I have to sort of do a little bit of directing, but it's like interesting to watch how the family system responds to family therapy, especially kids. So especially like parents and their children in particular. Um, so, and, and, I, and I also wanna include that we also see um, couples and families of, in the LGBTQI population as well. So it's not just like the normal typical, we have, we are very experienced working with that population as well. 
So, um, but yeah, family that you have to be very neutral. Again, you've got to appease to the parent and the child or children. You've got to get the kids to like you, but by also upholding the boundaries of the parent, that's not always easy, you know? So, cause you, at the end of the day, like you have to be, your parents have to be the head of the household. So you, you know, at that point, they're going to, you're going to work on setting boundaries. And sometimes that takes some freedom away from the kids who have been running amok and doing what they want. So you have to make sure that you secure a good relationship with those kids so that they're not going to be resistant to whatever it is that you're trying to put in place. So for a little bit of advice that you can bestow upon us, when two, when a couple comes together, they have children begin their family and they come. So, so when it's just them two, everything, I guess, for the most part, operationally, things work. But when it comes to a family dynamic, maybe they come from two different cultures and mm -hmm. raising a child is seen, raising a child is seen differently. Not them as a couple, the romance is there, everything seems to work appropriately. Mm -hmm. But raising a child might have different, I don't know, beliefs. Okay, here's a good one. Maybe uh, the discipline. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how, how do you discipline a child? Maybe you'll have a, you know, one who believes, um, you know, verbal, you know, uh, accusations is one way and the other thinks, you know, um, just, you know, ignoring the child altogether will get the, will solve the problem. H how do you, wh what is advice for, I guess, just, uh, you know, maybe on that topic? I know that seems kind of random, but for some reason it hit me over the head. No, it's not random at all, actually. It's a common thing that comes in because, you know, to your earlier, to your point though, like, you know, a couple can be a very strong couple, but then, you know, parenting uh, preferences or beliefs don't emerge until you become said parent, right? right. And right. the thing, and Erica, you can correct me or, you know, agree. Um, the thing about kids is, is that kids have this innate tendency to bring up every insecurity that you have. Mm. It's because they're just smarter than us. I'm convinced. In four years <laughs> of life, I'm convinced that kids are smarter than us. Sure. They just know how to like challenge you. Like if like for example, and I will get to your point. I'm sorry, but That's like, okay. um, if you have anxiety, right, your kid will do everything in their power to create that anxiety, like right. a daredevil or like running around or like cracking their head on different things accidentally or you know you have the eloper as i like to call them where it's just like oh look oh i want that shiny object and then they're waddling and then you're running and having a panic attack because you can't find them um and then like you're asking you know your partner who you know sometimes couples when they get together they don't have the conversation about how were you parented mm -hmm. like Tell me what you enjoyed about being parented by your mom or dad. Tell me what you didn't like about being parented by your mom and dad. And then this baby comes and all of a sudden you have these, these two different narratives, sometimes opposing, et cetera. And now they're all convening on this one or multiple offspring as it may be. So what I ask parents to do when they're in that situation is I ask them to think about reflecting on their own childhood, right? Because you're going to do what you know, right? We all tend to operate from this sense of um, being aware or uh, knowing. And like, tell me as the therapist and your spouse, 
what you enjoyed about the way you were parented. Like when things went wrong or, you know, you told a fib or you broke something and et cetera. How did your parents react? How did that make you feel? And then sometimes we have this experience where it's two people who are in love and happy and romantic, having the conversation about what their childhood was like for like the first time. Mm-hmm. And then our advice or my advice would be to like really try and absorb how that person felt in that moment, right? Because if you had somewhat abusive parents, if you had um, emotionally neglectful parents, it's very difficult to then have a frame of reference to go in and be like, you know, a textbook good parent. Everybody has the potential to be great parents. Some of us, well, not some of us, I shouldn't say that. I think all of us are presented with our own growth edges in parenting by the children that we give birth to or, you know, adopt or foster and so forth. Sorry, it was long-winded, but Erica, did you want to add anything to that? Um, I could just jump in for uh, something short because I do think that you have uh, excellent points there. I also try to, to find a middle ground a lot of times with um, with couples and kind of say, look, all right, you want this, you think this is right. Like, what can we what can we agree on that would work here? And, and I'm always sort of advocating for two things kids needs are, are structure and nurturance. So whatever that is, we, you can kind of find where that is. But as far as sort of boundaries and the expectations, sometimes that needs to be sort of negotiated and kind of met in the middle with a compromise on what, what each of them is gonna expect. And this is difficult when it comes to cultural things too. If you have two different cultures, there's two different expectations there. So in order for it to work, again, more teamwork, you've got to figure it out. How can we meet in the middle here? Because if you don't do that, your kids will be confused. Then you start seeing behavior problems. So if you're not on the same page and you're not setting the same limits and the expectations are not clear from both parents, that's when your kids get very anxious and act out. Kids need consistency, routine, and structure, as well as consistent encouragement and nurturance. So once you kind of get those points across, the parents are able to kind of sit down and think about, all right, so what can we do here that makes sense for both of us? So it's not, it sounds really easy, but it is a process. All right, so let's, thank you, that's, that's fantastic. Um, switching gears a little bit. It seems like in the time we currently live in, uh, mental health is at a forefront. It's getting way more attention than it had, let's just say, a decade ago uh, and beyond, um, which, which, is, which I think is a, is a good thing. Um, explain, what do you think the transition, what do you think happened? Is it the pandemic? Was it... Uh, events that are happening around the world that triggered uh, this in a, you know, it almost seems like it's been highlighted um, or is it just the way the world is just naturally moving towards, we're just generally accepting that uh, more attention needs to be paid mm-hmm. uh, towards mental health or is it a combination of all of it? You want me to take it? <laughs> you look at I think that, um, I think people in the media are coming forward a lot too. Like you'll see like 
a lot of celebrities have been sort of forthcoming with mental health issues, which, you know, people look up to them. Um, so I think, but more, I think more people are experiencing mental health issues because of the pandemic. So I think that they are now seeking out services, whereas before they were distracted with everyday life and everything else. And they're presented with a lot of things that are happening in the world. You know, most people are having a reaction to what's happening. So I do think that's been talked about more. I do think that um, schools and communities are also more, you know, advocating more for services and for, you know, all sorts of education surrounding mental health. But, you know, the media presence, as you know, like media is like huge for influence. And so a lot of big people coming out talking about their struggles um, with mental health is kind of normalizing it for the rest of everybody else. So that's my take on that. I don't know, Genevieve, if you have anything else, but. Um, I was just thinking like, one, what a great question to ask. And two, <clears throat> I feel like um, mental health has always been around, right? Because there's been therapists for better part of a couple hundred years in some sense or the other. Um, I think the fact that like it took a nation to shut down and us to be more or less secluded in our homes with limited um, uh, distractions, right? Because we couldn't really leave. We didn't have social lives except for like over, you know, Facebook Live or whatever, you know, group Zoom thing you could participate in. We were left to our own devices. So like couples were on lockdown together families were on lockdown together. So parents became teachers, parents became, you know, became 24 seven caregivers while trying to hold down a job, hoping that their lives, their job would pivot into um, a work at home situation, unless you were a frontline healthcare provider, there was a risk. People were, you know, uh, truly, um, truly dying from something that like was minimally understood. Um, and I feel like that was kind of like the, the reset button for people about like, where do my values lie? And like, what is important to me? Cause I've just survived a pandemic. I may have lost somebody to, you know, the disease. I, in some cases, families weren't able to connect with immediate families like four blocks down for like a year or so because of the risk and, you know, the um, um, threats that like exposure would pose to certain people, especially if they had, you know, compounding issues. So I think the reason why mental health has become such a hot topic amongst people is because it's been on everybody's minds for so long and everybody's hearts for so long that, you know, the recent events as of late have given it, have given cause to becoming more of a national conversation rather than just, you know, the intimate conversation between you and like your therapist or, you know, you and your spouse. It's now like a global thing that like mental health matters because we've, we've had to, I think people have had to confront um, some things that could easily be swept under the rug or distracted by going out or spending time away from home or, you know, overwhelming yourself with work. So I think, I think it's been, I don't even know if helpful is the right word, but I'm glad that whatever 
whatever the real catalyst is, is that it's happening. So people can get the help they need and realize that there is much more accessibility. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. And it's interesting what you said about Erica mentioned sports. I remember this past weekend, we're, um, we're very much into combat sports and um, there's, I'm just thinking of in the nineties when uh, uh, the ultimate uh, UFC first started, the last thing I would think someone, a guy who just won is gory and there's blood everywhere. The last thing, you know, on his, and in my mind, in watching this in the nineties was someone mention or give a shout out to mental health or speak to someone where a guy this past weekend uh, just won a fight. And one of the first things he says, he grabs the microphone yeah, a room majority full full of guys saying you need to speak up you have to talk if you're not if you're not feeling right mentally speak up reach out to someone and it was just <clears throat> i just got the chill i got the chills just saying that yeah. but it's amazing it's wow we have come a far way and it's almost like in a very condensed uh period of time and, and maybe you know it was amplified by the, the, the pandemic and i agree with that um but i have it, it wasn't like you know, to your point, too, it wasn't like it was non-existent. It was not, I feel like it wasn't as acceptable to talk about it, I personally. Um, but then, you know, it wasn't that I didn't see it, right? Because I seen, you know, friends and relatives uh, deal with anxiety and depression where I've never seen it, my whole relationship with them. And then maybe uh, a loved one passes away and the grief is just overbearing. And to be honest with you, you know, as me as a teenager or uh, just not as aware or educated on the topic, didn't know what to say. Mm -hmm. um, where now the first thing I would say is like, you need to speak to someone. I'm not saying it's me, but you need to speak to someone. Sure. Uh, the direction would be more towards, you know, you all the professionals, um, but speaking to me is a start. And then maybe I can make that connection with you all, right? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, any, thoughts on that well like piggyback what you said about like you know we talk about the celebrities and everything else i think stuff like tiktok exploded and people are much education like educating other people about their mental illness and it's now resonating with a lot of other people so normal everyday people like you're like you said yourself and you know are able to kind of reach out and talk i mean sometimes people leave comments things like that you know, for anybody from even, I mean, there's, of course I follow a bunch of people, but there's this woman that's a dissociative identity disorder. And like, that is like multiple personalities, you know what I mean? And I've seen lives with her switching. It's really pretty interesting. Um, an autism awareness and people that are autistic kind of giving people mm. about what their illness is, which then they say, wait a second, maybe I know somebody that may have this, maybe I should talk to them or maybe my, ch my child needs to be evaluated. So there's a lot of education being, and I'm not saying TikTok and Instagram are the best routes, but let's be real, social media is what it is. And so it's getting the word out there. People are getting more educated and they're more willing to have discussions with people and their families, like you said, um, when they start to hear some of these things. Yeah, and to your point, I feel like there's also been a lot of people speaking on mental health that traditionally didn't have a voice. Right. So, like, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, a lot of men specifically of all, you know, races and 
um, speaking about the importance of mental health. And I think that that is very poignant in of itself because it's very, um, it's very, usually a very taboo topic for men to talk about, you know, how they're feeling, what their, you know, internal processes um, underneath the smile or like the, you know, the yo bro, or how you doing? That kind of like, you know, being Joe kind of thing. Sure. And I think like that um, has spawned um, a lot more conversations in, you know, genders and races that feel, you know, that these are things that, you know, we keep behind closed doors. And then we talk about like as a family versus, or, you know, and now they can like share like, hey, you know, I'm actually depressed. I'm, you know, a male or I'm a transgendered, you know, female male. I'm, you know, I'm a black woman, I'm a black man, I'm a Hispanic, I'm you know, Asian, that I'm feeling the mental health issues that are, you know, that media is like putting out there. So I think that that's um, an underlying cause as well. Absolutely. All right, so 10 years uh, together at Holt Power Therapy Services. If you could think back uh, the last 10 years, uh, what do you, to each of you, so we'll go to Genevieve, then we'll go to Erica. Uh, for what you've done thus far, what has been the best and or most memorable experience? Uh, not a loaded question at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what's been the most memorable experience? Um, or just one, one, maybe one, doesn't have to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 hurry up, hurry up. So I feel like the most um, the most important experience, I think, over these past hey. 10 years has been that, you know, combating like ongoing self-doubt, like, and having the results speak for themselves. So like, you know, being a business owner, there's always like a, and like there's amazing therapy agencies all over the city. And like, you know, the question in your brain is like, why would someone choose you? You know, they can go here, right. they can go there. So I think like, you know, being somebody who is a therapist, who, you know, does mental health for a living and sitting in the self-doubt and pushing through it on a, you know, a daily basis to just reaffirm that like, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. You are doing what you're supposed to be doing. And having those uh, affirmations prove, you know, fruitful in real time, in real life, in a tangible sense, I think has been the most important lesson that I've learned in the past um, 10 years. I love it. Well said. Erica? Well, I think it's been interesting because I feel like I have grown as a therapist, and of course I, I see a therapist also, every therapist mostly does, um, sure. nature of our job. But I think that when I look at what I've learned, you know, some of the things that I really, that are really important to me is the ways that my own life experience has helped me in my job. Mm. I've been through all the things that I've been through um, for whatever, and I would, it's like a strange experience where I'd, I'd get clients with a very similar experience. And so I would grow as a person by helping them get better too. So it was pretty, an it's been a really like, a, and especially the last couple of years with COVID and pandemic, and also my son is four. 
So, I mean, having a young child, he's really wild also. Um, he just doesn't have an off switch. Um, just learning, like going through like new parents, happening, happen to get clients that have new parents, postpartum, my bad anxiety, um, during my pregnancy and afterwards. So a lot of these like milestone events that these people are coming in with, I've also experienced it, especially the pandemic, we're kind of going along with it. So it's also been like a challenge for me to make sure that I leave my own junk like out of the sessions. But then after they're over, it's like, it's almost a healing experience for me too. You know, act with these people, then I can do my own work as well in the same area. I hope that wasn't confusing. It's a little bit no, like- total sense. So I think stuff. 10 years, I think like the last 10 years have been like a lot of transitions for me. So um, it's interesting experience through that with the people that I see. I love it. So that kind of rolls right into um, one of my final questions. And that is, how do you balance, and, uh, Genevieve, we'll start with you. How do you balance the, your, how do you make it all work, the work-life balance. How do you hit the quote off switch going from maybe a very intense session, right? Mm -hmm. um, not every session ends probably the most positive thing in the world. Um, or it doesn't even have to be that. It could just be just, you know, something happened that, you know, flipped your switch and that make you feel too good. And then you have to go home and, you know, handle your family, uh, you know. So how do you, how do you balance it all? Um, and we all know that this is a question we ask all of our guests and everyone's answer is totally different. What works for you, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, honestly, I feel like the work-life balance is like just such an ongoing work in progress Yes. Mm -hmm. because what works sometimes may not work all the time. Like for me, I personally, I really try to incorporate yoga into my life as much as possible because that's where I really find like a zen yeah. um it doesn't always work out the way I want it because I have an 18 month old who's literally speeding around the house 24 7 um <laughs> and so I'm personally learning like how to balance like work and motherhood and I, I I'm gonna be 40 in December and I've never been a mother before so this is like a curveball like Erica was like selling or selling saying earlier is is that this constantly an adjustment um I really try and use my friends um Erica and I have been together well I mean not like together but like friends <laughs> for like a number of years so like we're always balancing things off each other um I have a really good like support system in family and I have a good spouse who also helps like create some of that. And I think, you know, as I've gotten older, the balance, um, I think the hardest balance that I've had to realize is like, no is an answer. Like as a chronic overachiever myself, um, it is very hard for me to say no. And with the onset of becoming like a, a parent, it has been crucial, almost critical to like our, our my family life to say no to things. Like I could go all day and then pass out and then to go up and do it all over again, but that's not going to be meaningful work or 
helpful work to anybody I'm seeing or myself and my family. So I think no is probably my biggest new tool in the work-life balance toolbox. Awesome. Well, I mean, some of that is similar to how I do things. I take a dance class a couple nights a week. I do it online because I'm still paranoid about COVID because my kid is four. Um, so I do that several times a week. And um, I try to do like a lot of breathing because I can get very frustrated with my four-year-old because he is just like me. So we are, I'm not, as, I'm not wild like him, but he is just definitely a strong-willed kid which will be a good thing for him later in life, but not an easy kid to parent. Um, yeah. But so some of the things that I try to work on with my own therapist is like self-care, like Genevieve is saying, you know, setting some, some self boundaries mm -hmm. um, are about like space for my self-care too. And sometimes that means like I have to schedule a client this hour because I really need to like take some time to like get breathe and like do something that I think is helpful for myself. Um, I didn't used to do that. And my Genevieve and I are very similar in that we were extremely overambitious, I think. And um, because of that, I think we experienced a lot of like stress and anxiety. And, and um, it's, you know, it's been a very hard to be a good therapist when you're functioning under that. Mm. So kind of validate having good boundaries with other people, like Genevieve said, no. Engaging in activities that make you feel like happy um, as much as possible. And sometimes that means staying up till one or two because the house is quiet and nobody needs me for anything and the phone's not going off and I can just sit, you know, and do what I want to do. And I don't care if I'm tired the next day kind of thing. Like that's something that a lot of mm -hmm. end up doing, but it's a, it is, it is a work in progress and a struggle. And it's one of the main issues that I work with my own therapist about. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So we have uh, one final question and wrap this episode up. All right, this is another question we ask all of our guests, uh, and this is for uh, our listeners. Um, so the answer is same as the last one. It is whatever you believe it is. What is your recommendation to anyone trying to achieve their goals and dreams in life? So someone who's going after it, uh, maybe some of the lessons you learned along the way. I'm not saying that ever anyone you know here made it, so to speak, or is at the pinnacle of you know their uh, life. But maybe something you can share that might be useful to the listeners uh, while they're also on their journey. Oh, go. That's fine. Um, so I would say that um, small goals at a time. I think one of the things that I struggled with with my early years of therapy is I wanted it all to work out fast. And if it work like that, you have to have some kind of patience if it's something that you really want. So sometimes small steps are a good way of creating some kind of accomplishment and feelings of control when it's not, it's not necessarily um, realistic that you're going to get to the fast. So I think just small steps and working, you know, steady progress is probably better than you trying to just jump in and try to you know, wrap yourself in this kind of goal for yourself. So that's, I think that having patience and having a small step process is going to be more effective. And realistic. Yeah. Love it. Um, and like Jerrica's point, I 
I just, I can't reinforce this enough, but like success is not linear. That there is a number of detours and setbacks and things that you cannot predict that are going to happen um, before you reach your goal. And then I like to also consider like, you know, what happens when you reach that goal, right? Like when you're finally successful, it's not, it doesn't end, right? Cause then you're human and you're thinking, well, what's after this, right? So like, I think just in that sense, like that's the frame that I used in my brain and just thinking about like, you know, trying to find appreciation for the journey, right? And then um, also giving thought, like once this goal is achieved and like you're, you know, quote unquote successful, like, what are you going to want to do after that? How are you going to use your, uh, you know, alleged like success to better other people? Are you going to feel fulfilled or do you still have to like find momentum to go and, you know, maybe tutor someone who is, who is not as successful, like on how to, you know, achieve that success, that level of success. So, um, yeah, I think just being mindful that it's not linear and that's okay. For sure. Absolutely. All right. So, um, thank you. That was awesome. So, uh, wrapping things up, if any of the, uh, the listeners want to reach out to you all, uh, what's the best way to contact you? Is it the website? Is it social media? Um, and also, uh, is there any future projects we should be looking out for? Um, I know, uh, Genevieve, we're going back and forth and maybe working uh, on the website. So uh, how can folks contact you and any new projects um, that we can look forward to? Sure. So um, our Instagram handle is Holtz underscore pal therapy. Um, we have the Facebook page. Our website is HoltzandPalTherapyServices.com. And it has all of our email and uh, phone numbers on all of those sites. And in terms of like uh, future projects, nothing on the docket yet, but therapy is always a wonderful experience. So you should check it out for yourselves. If you That's forgot, cool. just Google Holtz and Powell Marriage and Family Services and you'll find us. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you all. We appreciate it. We like to uh, close things out with quotes. Uh, and the first one is by Nelson Mandela. There can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. And the second one by Hain Ginot, Ginot. Children are like wet cement. Whenever, whatever falls on them makes an impression. The benefits of therapy in this episode, the crew welcomes special guests Erica Holtz and Genevieve Powell. We cover topics that range from couples therapy, family therapy, relationships, fair fighting, life cycle events, and much more. Wrap the episode up with quotes from Payne Janot and Nelson Mandela. Awesome. Guys, thanks again for joining us. The Rotated Views podcast was produced for self-development purposes. Huge shout out to our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the Blessed Lifestyle brand. That is BL3SSED.com. 
also sponsored by The Motivation Files Unleashed. This motivational mixtape will be your fuel for success, available on all platforms. Guys, don't forget to visit the website, jimmyleevelez.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rotated Views. If you have any inquiries or questions, email us at info at jimmyleevelez.com. On behalf of myself and the rest of the crew, we wish you massive success. Stay blessed. <laughs>